This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Andrew C. Ferreira helps us understand the incredible science behind meteor showers. We find out how they work, what they really are, and how you can get the best view of them. Would you date your computer? The World of Weird Things with Greg Fish. We learn why some people look for AI for companionship and why society needs to address loneliness in general to make sure that things don't go bad with AI influencing people's decisions. And are you okay with gestures of love and guard dogs? All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird Science. When I was driving, I was someplace east of Swift Current last night, heading west. I don't know if I saw a meteor or something streaking from the sky, but I swear to God, it was so fast and so bright and looked like it was going straight down. Um, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was one of those, I'm in Saskatchewan, and I, I think I just saw an alien things. Andrew. Uh, did I see? Did I see that? Is that what this these meteor showers? Is that what they look like, or would it have been more than just one streak? So it was just like a like a line, right? Essentially, like a bright line that kind of popped up and yeah, it was. And it was. It looked like normally when you see these things, they kind of go diagonally. You see them go diagonally, right? Like zip yeah, across yeah, yeah. the sky. And you're like, what was that? This looked like it went straight down. So maybe it was. It was diagonal to everybody who was north and south of me, but where I was at, it maybe it just like went right over top of me. I don't know, but it was fascinating and bright and quick and i blink blink and i'm like whoa did i just see that you did that was probably a uh, it was probably part of the perseids yeah hmm. congrats so we we have a lot of questions here did we were chatting this early uh well no i was driving oh. i didn't well, you, i didn't well, know that was you can't make wishes while you're driving oh i i don't know i this i thought we were being scientific here i didn't know we were being all mystical mm-hmm. um you can do whatever didn't, you want didn't think to make a wish but thank you though um mm-hmm. wish wasted so we were talking earlier, Ryan and I, and we decided, because Ryan was like, how come these meteors things like these comets or whatever, they just kind of fly away and then they come back 50 years later or they fly away and then they come back 50 years later. And I said to him, well, gravity, Ryan, it's because gravity and stars and this path they fly on and they're kind of caught in a loop. And we basically decided that spaces like NASCAR all left turns only. In some reference frame, yes. There is a reference frame, so, you know, if you if you looked at it from Ricky a certain Bobby way. Ricky yeah, an astrophysicist, you really. If you ain't first, you're last. Hmm. If you ain't first, you're last. Okay, well, um, tell me, you just said Perse- Perseid, 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 Perseid meteor shower is a yep. thing. Let's start with the basics yep. of what is it. So it's a meteor shower. So it's a yearly recurrence of, of you know, an uh, an arbitrary uptick in the number of visible meteors in the night sky. It usually lasts for a a day or two, uh, the peak. Um, And it usually falls within a very easily predictable time period. Um, You know, for the Perseids, for example, uh, they always happen somewhere between late July and mid August. So we're right on schedule. Um, And they usually result in, you know, the meteors per hour uh, are anywhere between usually 
45 to 50 to upwards of 100, depending on uh, your location, the weather, the conditions, and just some years are better than others. So there. Conditions, clouds, all those things, I imagine, you know, they could be, it could be the greatest meteor show ever, but we just might think it's like mediocre because of, you know, uh, atmospheric things, circumstances. The biggest, the biggest thing is light pollution, right? So the further you are from the city, the more of these things you're going to see. Um, so you know, you're you're on the highway, right outside Swift yeah, Current, so you probably were able to see more than most who are in cities. That's cool. What? So these new uh, has light pollution improved at all, as far as you know, um, with these LED lights and these more focused lights, as opposed to because I know that there are some cities that are were ridiculously bright from space, right? And then you get these concentrations of areas down in the states where it just looks like when the, the, the photos from space station and stuff like that, where it's just all lit up, like that whole northeastern corner of the United States. Is it getting better? Have you heard at all with all of this new technology, LED lights, and, and these things? Are we still just basically smearing light all over the universe? Well, to put it one way, imagine like the light pollution problem was an air fr- was a deep fryer, and we yeah. just dumped water in it. Oh, goodness. Okay. So it's not good. Um, Don't put water in an air fryer either, just to be clear. Yeah. It would be weird if you did, um, but don't you know? Uh, LEDs that are being replaced, you know, replacing these old orange sodium bulbs are these bright white, like harsh LED lights, right? So, are they more energy efficient? Absolutely. Do they, you know, perhaps are they more pinpoint downwards? Maybe. Uh, are they also a lot more uh, ruinous to night sky visibility? Yes. Interesting. Wow. Do municipalities care? No. No. Should they? Yes. Okay, cool. Does it make a guy like you who's a space nerd, does that make your, your days more difficult when you're trying to see what's going on yourself or or when these other scientific people doing proper studies do it? I mean, for you know, for folks who are actually doing, you know, scientific work, yeah, it makes their lives harder. For me, no, I just I just shake my fist and, and carry Rrr, on with my life. Get like, off my you know, old man, you know, screams at cloud. But yeah, you know, I I just, you know, it, it is what it is. There's lots of, you know, light pollution. Um, they call them light pollution abatement efforts uh, all over oh. the country at, like, the grassroots level. Um, so, so if you want to look it up, you can just look up wherever you live and light pollution abatement, and you might find something. All right, cool. I did not know we were going to yeah. I did not have light pollution on my bingo card today, but there it is. That's uh, that's pretty go. cool stuff. So tell us tell us about this this meteor shower. Why is this one uh, heating up again, and, and, and what's special about it? Yeah, so what's special about the Perseids is is simply the volume of meteors that we get. Uh, Most meteor showers are usually in the kind of like 20 to 60 meteor per hour range. Uh, Not that they're boring. I think they're very cool. Uh, But in terms of sheer volume of stuff to see, they don't usually compare to the Perseids. Um, The Perseids are also generally a much better show because it usually happens in the Northern Hemisphere summer, right? So weather is usually better. Right, we usually have a better chance at seeing them, uh, and that's another reason why um, they get a lot of you know well-deserved uh, press and attention, um, and they're just cool. I mean, you know, what's better than you know hanging out on like a you know a, a warm but not too warm August night and watching you know shooting stars go overhead, right? Like that's mm-hmm. just it's just cool. I agree. I it's really cool. I, the one thing I think that we take for granted, and every time I take the dog out, I always try to take a deep breath and. You look up at the stars and, you know, watch them twinkle and, and try to get, I find that really grounding, you know, yeah. maybe that's a faith thing. 
Um, but I, I just find it really grounding, a good reminder that there's so much more than these problems that we claim to be ours on Earth every day. And But it, it is kind of static. I mean, sure, the sun goes up and the sun goes down, but it does a pretty good job at keeping it, you know, consistent, you know, in all parts. Um and I, it, I just, I just found it. It was, it's always a great reminder when we see these things that it's change in the sky, right? We don't, they catch our eye. It's like a, like as I described when I saw it, uh, what was that? Did I just see that? Cause they, they go so quick. And it, when things change around us, when, when they change above us, we really take notice. And to me, that's why these meteor showers and stuff are so special. Well, and it, it's a manifestation, right? It's, it's proof in the pudding that the universe is this, wonderful moving place that has all of these weird mysterious things happening all the time mm -hmm. um and it's events like this that get people excited about astronomy about learning about space about science in general right it's it's events like this that really remind people that there's so much um that we only barely understand there's so much that we only really have hints about um and even then you know for I'll, I'll use the I'll use meteor showers in general as example. So do you know how meteor showers actually come about? I've always assumed meteor showers were debris rocks that are coming off a cometer or some sort of belt of rocks, and then they start sort of skipping across our atmosphere, and uh, and here we go. Just a bit circumstantial. That's kind of how I assumed it. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, you're, you've you've pretty much got the right of it. Uh, meteor showers are generally attributed to a comet. Um, so the Perseids are attributed to the comet Swift-Tuttle, uh, and Swift-Tuttle is a long, is a medium period comet. It orbits the sun once every 130-something years. Um, it last came near the sun, I think, in the 90s, so it'll be another, you know, at least two or three years before we see it again, probably in the, you know, 2120s-ish. Um, so I think I don't know if I'm going to see that one again. But anyway, uh, comet Swift-Tuttle, whenever it comes into the inner solar system, it recharges, essentially, the Perseid meteor shower. And so this trail of debris that the comet gives off, right? The comets are just these gigantic balls of ice and rock, right? So as it gets closer to the sun, it melts and you get that delightful comet's tail, but you also get a lot of breakup in the comet, right? You get a lot of stuff that just kind of flies off. Uh, and that stays in orbit, right? That more or less just follows the orbit of the comet. Um, and so every time that Earth passes through this veil of debris, we get a meteor shower. And in, specifically mm. in this case, it's the Perseid. So, you know... Every meteor shower is attributed to a comet or attributed to some known debris field uh, in space. Um, so to me, that's just realizing that, knowing it's not just some kind of happenstance. Oh, look, shiny rock. It's we're literally the Earth is literally plowing through a, a cometary debris field. Um, and of course, up close, it's incredibly violent. These rocks are incinerated and they essentially explode. Um but when you're sitting down on the ground and you're just looking up, it's gorgeous, right? It's, I know, to, to bring it back to what I said before, it's a good reminder of, hmm. you know, where we are and, and how dynamic the universe around us is. Uh, that is interesting. Do comets, do, do they follow because they have their own gravity? Like, is that all following because they have their own gravity or is this, um, or is there something else going on? Uh, everything has its own gravity, right? Everything, even, even a proton. Hmm. Um, so, you know, all the jokes that may have been levied at you, you know, all of the classic uh, Yo Mama jokes that may have been levied about gravitational influence have a grain of truth to them. Uh, but, you know, the person who said the joke, their mother is not exempt. Um, <laughs> but no, right. they're, they're following 
uh, you know, the gravitational orbit dictated by the sun and the planets, right? Um, you know, their own gravitational, you know, field, their own gravitational well is insignificant compared to, you know, that of the earth or that of the sun, right? So the sun in terms of gravitational influence is the boss in the solar system. And Jupiter is kind of like, you know, the regional assistant manager who like, you, you know, you got to put on like a tie for when they come to visit, but you don't really care what they say. Although, mm. you know, if you look sideways at them, they might do something about it. Um, but outside of that, it's usually just the sun and Jupiter and the comets as they come through and they come back out. Um, it's usually only these bodies that really meaningfully affect uh, the orbit of, uh, of these comets. Hmm. It is fascinating. I mean, to me, like I do, it, uh, awe. I think comes to mind maybe when you see these things. Yep. Like this is this is almost a. I don't want to say it's a living, breathing thing, but it's almost a living. I mean, the experience of yep. it is a, a, a living, breathing thing that flies and continues to to fly by, and it, it lives on and on and on and on. I mean, it. it, it I don't know. It makes me like, feel small. I guess. Well, and, you know, that's, I think, part of the awesomeness of, you know, of space specifically, but science in general, is that all of these processes that we don't think about are always happening, right? Um, you know, I, in terms of biology, it's insane to think that your body is made up of trillions of little factories that run 24-7 that have to run perfectly. Uh, otherwise, you end up in the ER. And it, you know, luckily for the vast majority of us, it goes off without a hitch every single day, every single night. Right. Um, you know, th there's just so much that happens in the world that none of us are ever aware of. Um, and I always take pride in being able to make people aware of these things. And I think, you know, being, you know, feeling small, um, I think that's just, you know, that's a sign that you understand, right? It's a yeah, sign that you, you, you comprehend the, the reality of everything. Yeah, and not to get, um, I mean, the, I don't intend the pun, but to the gravity of it all, I didn't, don't mean yeah. it that way, but it's true. Um, so I actually thought of you when we were driving in that moment as we were chasing the sunset before we saw the, the you know, that shooting star, if you will, or whatever yeah. it was. Um, my, my son, as the sun was setting, he said, so, hey, if the sun is setting and we're driving west, are we getting closer to the sun? And I said to him, I said, well, technically... Um, we're not because we'd have to be driving faster than the rotation of the earth. Uh, and if we could drive as fast as the rotation of the earth, then the sun technically wouldn't set, or in fact, it would go up if we were yep. making time against it. And, uh, I thought of you cause I was like, Oh, I think I probably learned that from Andrew. I feel like a smart <laughs> dad right now. Hey, you know what? It's, it's little moments like that, right? It's little moments like that where, um, you know, the everyday you know, usefulness and, you know, a beauty of science really come home to roost, right? It's when you can mm -hmm. realize these things and you can suddenly make sense of something that at first you're just like, what? But no, you can make sense of that entirely. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an article, Andrew C. Ferreira, that NASA telescope spotted the, uh, and I had to get help with Ryan, it was the Riddler. It looks like the Riddler's question mark in <laughs> yeah. space. Tell me about it. Yeah, so the James Del uh, the James Webb Space Telescope, the JWST, has been up there for a year and change, uh, taking some of the most ridiculous, bonkers photos of the universe. Um, if you're ever bored, just look up JWST photos. NASA offers them at like crazy, like 8K resolution. You can just stare at them. It's a good time. Um, but in one of the most recent images, um, there was a formation of stuff that looks like a question mark, like almost like a perfect question mark. Um, and, you know, what else do you say about it? It's 
it's weird, but we love. Do they it, know right? what we it is yet, it. or no? It's just it's just light. Oh, it's probably a galaxy. Hmm. I mean, given based on if you look at the image, when you look at any JWST image, you'll see objects that have like these spikes. They're called diffraction spikes. All of those spikes, ob- spiky objects, are stars. Uh, all of the objects that do not have spikes are galaxies. It's just hmm. how it is. Um, and this question mark object does not have spikes, so it's probably a galaxy. Um, why a galaxy looks like a question mark? It's probably been involved in some kind of horrendous galaxy-rending collision. Um, you know, it's probably interacting with some other gravitational mass. Uh, either that, or there's some other object in front of it that is bending the light uh, from this galaxy as it comes towards us. And we see that a lot uh, in the JWST images of galaxies that look kind of stretched out like uh, like spaghetti almost. Or you see them mm. kind of like mirror-imaged on either side of like a very big galaxy. Um, there's a lot of examples. It's, it's an effect called gravitational lensing. So it might be gravitational lensing. It might be, you know, a galaxy that's, you know, had a collision with another galaxy. It might be a bit of column A and a bit of column B. Don't really know. Um, because it's not a very notable object other than it kind of looks funky, um, not a lot of research has gone into it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and one of the researchers uh, in the article that they question, it's like it kind of look. it's kind of reads like a, you know, the news headline that's always, and I'm direct quoting here, uh, quote, a local man finds a chicken tender that looks like George Washington, end quote. Right. Right. It's like, oh, it's cool. right. Like you, like, like Jesus cool. on a grilled cheese kind of thing. Exactly. Like, it's cool. It's a neat little coincidence. Scientifically, yeah. it doesn't probably doesn't have much value. But, you know, you never know if unless you look at these things. Um, but to be fair, the image from which the question mark is taken from the rest of it is way cooler. Um, question hmm. mark is a neat little addition. But the rest of that. Uh, is it's an, like like every GWST image. It's it's breathtaking to think that the universe, you know, in some wavelengths of light that we can't see with our eyes, looks like this. It's it's bonkers. There was a uh, post Andy Mac posted at shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group. It's just a kind of an info pick about gravity and space and theory of relativity and, and all these different pictures. It's it's just a, it's just an info pick. It's really neat though. And one of them is gravity travels in the form of waves which is as you spoke of. So if, if what Andrew's talking about is of interest to you at shiftheads.ca, you will see that that there. Or it's the Riddler sending out a message for all of us. I'm going to go with it's a galaxy. Ah. I know. I hate to burst the bubble. I know. Yeah, but it's it's science if I just say it is and put it on the internet. Well, it's science if you can run an experiment that shows evidence that it is oh, the Riddler. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I had it wrong. Sorry. What I was talking about was not science. You know, internet scientists, you know, they uh, right, you know, they do Ooh, their thing. That's like alternative facts. You know, cool. maybe we should have an alternative facts for science. Just so uh, we... I'd be happy to, you know, yeah. scream into my microphone here at home. You know, waking yeah. up the neighbors. Um, all about that. We'll tear that to um, shreds. Yeah, right. That'd be great because then, then you could just declare that you made it up, and then you could say whatever you want. Okay, one more text comes in. It says, yep. "What's the difference between a meteor and an asteroid, and are there asteroid showers?" Uh, there are not asteroid showers. Asteroids are far away from the Earth. Far away. They, you know, they're rocks. They can be tiny. They can be huge. Uh, they are asteroids. Meteors are things that enter the atmosphere. Yeah. Right. So an asteroid can become a meteor. When it enters the atmosphere. And Much lands, like a funnel cloud and a tornado are the same but distinctly different. Bingo. And if it lands and a piece of it survives on the ground, that's a meteoroid. Oh. 
Okay, cool. So, so it's a meteor that. if it just burns up in the atmosphere. It's a meteoroid if it makes it to the ground. Fascinating. I did and get one other text message. It's a bad day if it's a big rock. It's a bad day if it's a big rock. That's a movie, and we need That's Ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, one other text says it's a massage, which I think is a typo. Yeah, but the I, question mark could be a message. Oh, message. I mean, it, uh, I maybe, maybe it's a massage. Again, you'd have to run an experiment. A scientific Science. one this time, not, not a, just not a, not a, not a, not a fake silly one. Don't do that, Andrew C. Ferreira. It is weird science. He is here and sharing us with all the, uh, the spacey things. Links to both of these articles, the uh, meteors and the question mark from the telescope. Shiftheads.ca. They're posted there for you for everyone to find out. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much. This is the Shift Podcast. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird, weird things weird. with Greg Fish. If you think Greg Fish is weird, wait till you hear what he likes to talk about. Greg Fish joins us from California. Hey, Fishy. How's it going? Welcome back to the program, worldofweirdthings.com. And in fact, this particular article, you can subscribe to his newsletter and it'll automatically land in your email box, which is cool when he does a new, uh, puts together a new article because he's lonely and he dates his computer and he sits there and whoa, writes whoa, you whoa. love letters. No, that's not, that's what we were doing. No. Mrs. No, Fish? No, 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 no. Her real name is Dell? No? Dell? Are you? Uh, no, absolutely not. At, oh. No, no, not a Dell. Not, not, not Dell. I'm definitely going to go for something that's a little bit. Her, her uh, initials are HP? I don't know. I don't know where this goes. No, nothing? All right. So a custom built. Definitely a custom oh, built. Oh, cu she's custom guy. built. Perfect. I think mail ordered things, that stuff, that's human trafficking, buddy. You're not allowed to do that. Oh, I, I, you know, when she hears this, she is going to strangle me, but by all means, yeah, but by all means, go ahead. I apologize, me. Mrs. Fish. I realize that you are the brains of this family. Okay, Greg, uh, we are here to talk about uh, specifically AI. Now, AI is, um, we're actually, we're not even here to talk about AI because AI is not really doing anything but what it was told to do. We're here to talk about the people. Dating, like you go to an app, you go to a, a website and then up comes this thing and it's two o'clock in the morning. Hi, it's Charlotte. I'm here to help you. Do you have any questions about buying your new car today? And you're like, come on, Charlotte, you're not working this late. Either your name's not Charlotte or you're not working this late. And, um, or you're a robot. But people can do this when they feel lonely now. People can do this for companionship. Frankly, I think this is more of a threat to my radio show than anything else we've seen before because we have a lot of people that are working alone at nighttime. You know, they're away from their family. They're away from their partners. And so they turn on the radio. There's a lot of people that maybe their partners are out of town or they're working. They turn on the radio and maybe they live by themselves. They turn on the radio. Now, all you have to do is click clack your way there. And, uh, and I love you, Mr. Computer. Yeah. Technically, you can do that. There are some companies out there, with the replica probably being the biggest one, that are providing these sorts of companion chatbots, and people who are very lonely are turning to them. There is the one very significant problem with all of this. 
And it's not what you think. Well, maybe that's, that is also a problem. We'll get to it later. But the critical problem is that uh, trying to have a relationship with a chatbot, trying to basically make friends with a computer, gets really weird really fast. Mm. Weird for who? Is it weird for the person in the relationship? Because I don't think it is. I think it's more weird for the friends and the people in proximity to this that watch it happen. Well, actually, it's very weird for the people as well, because the people are complaining quite a bit. Um, oh, really? So in order for me to, yeah, so in order for me to explain why that happens, first, we have to talk about something called the Turing test. So the Turing test is a test that was designed by Alan Turing, the father of modern computing, when he was asked, how would you be able to tell that we have achieved artificial intelligence? Um, and his idea was, well, let's let's assume that you have three entities talking to each other two humans and a computer you have a person they're talking to a person they're talking to a computer and then at the end of the conversation they have to say who was the person and who was who was the other human and who was Ooh. the computer so it's like a dating game show when you're trying to pick like who who's the who's the doctor or who's the lawyer or whatever it is that, uh, that you're trying to do. You're trying to decipher it all, put it all together and figure it out. In this case, do people figure it out when they can they tell it's the computer? Well, this is the thing. It actually has gotten really complicated with large language models that use the, the, the newest technology. Because what they are good at doing is you feed them, if you feed them a ton of conversations, if you feed them a ton of text, they get really good at tricking you. Now, there's a lot of philosophical debates about this, but um, so I kind of have to, to pick a stance here. Uh, there's a there's a criticism by um, a philosopher uh, <clears throat> uh, by by uh, a philosopher who basically says that you know you computers will just trick you. They know you you give them an input. And you give them an output. They give you an output, and they already know what output they're supposed to give you. So there's no intelligence there. There's no thought. There's no nothing. They just they they just know what to say, and it's really easy to fool you. Um, this is known as Searle's Chinese Room, after the philosopher in question, John Searle. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not really what happens. What happens is that computers can figure out how language is built at this point because we we understand how to die you know the, the whole diagramming your sentences and figuring out what words go together and and how adjectives work and all of that kind of fun stuff computers can understand that we can program in the statistics so they can logically figure out what to say next so they have figured out how to fool you how to create text that is passable how to create things that that humans could say, okay, maybe this was written by another human. And then we have to add another very important element on top of that, which is that the people who are interacting with these chatbots, they want the computer to succeed. They understand, okay, yes, maybe it's a computer, but maybe it actually is intelligent. Maybe it is actually listening to me. Maybe it actually cares because of what it's saying. So they give it a lot of leeway and a lot of slack. So that's actually one of the reasons why the Turing test is, is not really a good test, but we can't exactly blame Turing because he didn't know that we're going to have larger language models and general adversarial networks and all the technology that we have now. This was considered science fiction back in 1950 when he came up with this test. So what we have now is we essentially are running hundreds of thousands of Turing tests every day with people who are essentially saying, I want the machine to fool me. I, I don't care. 
I think mm. the computers got it. But the thing is, they don't got it because what they're doing is they're taking they're they're being trained on other chats. They're being trained on other conversations. They're being trained on random text and they don't understand things like boundaries. They don't understand when people say certain things, there might be a subtext. They might mean something else. They might be sarcastic. So what happens is that they cross in a territory where some of their responses don't make sense or some of their responses get real creepy because if you have really creepy people interacting with these AIs, these AIs are going to say, oh, well, this is how humans talk to each other. So I guess I should probably talk to the person that way. And, you know, when it comes to, hey, computer, how are you doing tonight? And the computer responds, I'm doing fine. How about you, baby? What are you wearing? And all of a sudden you're going, hey, that's not what I signed up for. And some people are going, oh, no, wait, hold on. That is exactly what I signed up for. How dare you turn that kind of response off? So that's when it starts getting really weird. But because the more you talk to these systems, the more you stress test them. And the weirder their response get because they're really trained and they're meant for relatively short interactions. The original idea was to use them for things like what you brought up, customer service interactions. I've actually worked with in, with telecommunications companies that essentially said, hey, we yes, we have all of these phone networks, we have all of these systems, we have all of these chats, but we want the front line to be handled by the chatbot so they can figure out what the problem actually is, if they can solve it quickly and automatically, or we need to actually give it to a human to handle the more intricate things. And that's really what they were designed for. That's really where the technology was originally intended to go. So now stressing it beyond that, we, they don't really have, our current systems don't really have that kind of brain power to deal with actual social interactions. It's, oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> there's so much to be talking about there. Okay. So some people are thinking this is really great. To me, it sounds like failure um, in that, you know, the secret to language is usually interpreting failure, right? Most of us, if we were all able to speak clearly and concisely, we would be good. Most things, I don't know about the last time you talked to Mrs. Fish and anytime you have a breakdown in your relationship, most things aren't because of an actual disagreement. Most are because of a, a lack of clear communication and some sort of breakdown in communication. Is that a fair ball for you? I would, yeah, that is absolutely fair. That is, right. I think that's that's probably true for the vast majority of all yeah, human relationships. Yeah, and so so when you take that that notion um, that you interpreting now, so now you've learned from this conversation with Mrs. Fish that oh, I've got to be really clear about this topic because there's something there for her. I've got to be, you know, I'm not clear on this topic or detailed in this topic, right? Like some some people are detailed in their information they provide. Some people don't share much at all. So their partners are really trying to guess their way into what do they want anyway? And so that that's kind of the way that relationships work. Those nuances to me seem like things that would be wildly missing in AI because there are just so many layers and of things and interpretation going on as opposed to the other way with your your hey baby what are you wearing I imagine AI if if AI somehow got its wires crossed in in, in conversation mentorship or whatever it was doing and it's um <laughs> and it scraped hip-hop lyrics to figure out how to talk to people on a first date or something uh, you see how that could go sideways really quick. 
It does do that. And then here's another really important part. I, I want to kind of go a little bit deeper on what you mentioned. If you have a breakdown in communication with someone and you want to deal with it in a healthy way, what do you do? You sit down with this person and you explain to them, okay, this is why I need you to be super clear about this, or this is really what I meant when I said this. I, this is a, you know, this is a boundary for me. Can you please respect it in the future? Like this is a really sensitive point for me. Trying to explain that to an AI is impossible. This is like someone with synesthesia trying to explain to somebody else what the color purple tastes like. This is just not something that is oh, that's understandable to them in any way. Yeah, which we all know that we all know what per color purple tastes like. That's because we've tasted purple, purple sugar water, but it doesn't taste like purple, but at least we have an association for purple. In fact, if you really wanted to get philosophical about that, does grape taste like grapes or does grape taste like purple? You could see how a computer could not figure that out. Yeah, they, they, it would probably just start producing errors. So that's where we get to the other really important part of this, which is that if you can look at the computer as, well, I can manipulate this thing however I want, there's another behavior that actually has a lot of psychologists really alarmed. And there's communities, of, so there's communities of people who are essentially competing with practicing gaslighting, toxic behavior, manipulations with AIs. So imagine somebody who is looking to abuse a real life partner. They're essentially getting training and countless simulations and how they can be an unholy terror that's going to require therapy to get over. So there's a lot of psychologists like looking at their posts and going, oh my God, this is this is what we warned everybody about if there if people are going to start choosing to talk with AIs over other people because they're lonely. Some of them are going to develop these very, very messed up personalities, and they're going to take it out on real flesh and blood humans who are in no way ready for this. And this is really bad for a very simple reason that this is going to cause real harm when it gets, when these kind of behaviors are, get, are going to get out into the real world. So what's the, what's the solution for all of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to add before you say that, I mean, to me, um, people are using AI scripts to write my resume, stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Write my cover letter. And so before, like, I think that you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're sort of speaking to inside a relationship, this kind of language and speaking to each other, once that spills over and maybe gets normalized, or I mean, that can be very dangerous to humanity. I think that's kind of where you're going with that. I wanted to just go a little bit more linear on it and say that, Everybody who goes and you like, you have to imagine this. This is why AI for a guy like me that coaches communication, this, this is a gift for me. Someone came to me and said, are you worried about AI? Because everyone's going to be able to not need a, a copywriting coach anymore or anything like that. I don't do copywriting, but the, um, I said, no, it's a gift for me. Cause imagine this, imagine fish that you, because you're smart and computer scientist and you like run half a Silicon Valley for all I know, something like that. Um, the, um, you're not even, you're not even in Silicon Valley, but, um, nope. the, the, um, Silicon beach, you, you get Silicon beach. Very good. You get, um, but you get a, a resume that comes in you're like, oh, this person is really qualified. I'm excited to meet this person. Listen to this great cover letter. And then you meet them and they cannot form a sentence anywhere near to the intellect or even fluently poetic that they might've had on their cover letter. So there's a real letdown opportunity here where somebody does this dating apps, all the things let AI help write your profile, all those things you go to meet this beautifully poetic 
profile and you meet the person, they're like, hi there, what's happening? I think you're cute. Right. And that's all they've got to say. So, I mean, I'm taking it as more on a very simple level versus out into the world. But what are we looking at and what is the solution that you were talking about in order to navigate this? So very importantly, I do want to say that what you what you talked about just now, the, the situation, uh, these situations actually do happen all the time in the tech world, uh, unfortunately, and now they're going to get much worse with yeah. with chat GPT, because it's going to try and game a lot of these AI systems that are keeping a lot of people out. Uh, but really, what I'm going to focus on the on the relationship part of it, because that's kind of uh, where I wanted to really take a more in-depth look. Um, and the solution there is, you know, why are people turning to these AI prototypes? Mm -hmm. uh, we can look at it from a standpoint of you have, um, we, we kind of do have to discuss the fact that there's a lot of people out there who are very confused about what their role in society is. And they are very lonely. They, they're looking for somebody to talk to. They're looking for something that's like a partnership. Um, and so they talk to an AI. You have people who are frustrated with their current partners and they need something that they think is going to be a non-judgmental listener that's going to that's going to um, help and validate them. And they turn to an AI. The common thread in all of this is loneliness. And the companies that provide these chatbots, they don't they don't they want you to keep talking to them. They're not going to provide any incentive. They're not yeah. going to say, like, listen, this is probably a bad idea. You should go touch grass. You should talk to other people. Maybe there's like communities that you it can could be join. like Maybe, streaks you know, on Snapchat, right, where there's these sort of dopamine hit yeah. tools to bring you back for more. So you get a reward and a badge for talking to more people today. So what we really need to do is, is this is is this is a systemic thing. We need to address the issue of loneliness, which is actually a huge, massive problem worldwide, especially um, during and after the pandemic. If we so if we really want to tackle that root cause and we really want to improve people's communication and we want to um, basically take away the incentive of going to an AI partner. That that's what we would do. We would focus on making sure that people are less lonely. They feel like they actually have real people that hear them. It is interesting when you speak of it that way. Um, you know, it also makes me think of here, fish. Before we're done, it makes me think of escapism and distraction. Many people smoke. Maybe they drink. I do that. I'll have a you know a whiskey, uh, whatever it takes to sort of not have to think about real life. And if you started using an AI bot to chat to, to escape something from your life, because you've basically trained it to give you what you need, that's like a whiskey bottle that talks back to you and gives you compliments. And that sounds dangerous to me. Yep. That's exactly it. I think you've, you've absolutely nailed it. Wow. Fascinating stuff. All right, worldofweirdthings.com is the website. I'm going to link you directly at shiftheads.ca to the Substack. You can subscribe to this newsletter, and it will automatically land in your mailbox so you can know exactly what we're talking about. If you want to read more about this particular article, it will be posted on our Facebook group, shiftheads.ca. Greg Fish, World of Weird Things. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with, let us know what you think, some stories that might make you ponder, we were talking about AI and love and all these different types of relationships you can now have with a computer if you're a little bit lonely, are you okay with, 
gestures of love. Oh, love. Yeah. Mm. It's one of my love languages for sure. Although, gestures? one, yeah, like, like a gesture, like uh, whether it's a gift or something homemade or just kind of like something out of the blue. Oh, I But see. I used to kind of, you know, apply the same approach. Language, just to be clear. It, it uh, yeah, gifts are a love language. An act of service. Yes. Is a different love language, although still a love language. So like, cause I just want to be clear cause, wait, cause you said love language. Yeah. Um, that book is fantastic by the way. I recommend it. So you can have your acts of service as a gesture, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can have a gift just to kind of break it down just cause you brought it up. Yeah. So, you know, you have gesture can be a little bit of both, but the, the issue that I used to have was I would use the same kind of approach in every relationship. And then I kind of realized this isn't really working for everybody. I have to kind of adjust how I do this. And then when you figure out that sweet spot, it's really rewarding for like both partners, you know. So that that that's uh, that was something you kind of learn through failure, I would say. But it's it's cool mm. when you figure it out. Well, you can save yourself a lot of time if you just read the Five Love Languages book. That's a good one. True. Good way Great to go. book. And then yep. you can go and um, and listen for your partners. Um, and maybe get them to read the book too. I say they change over time though. That's the thing about, about those love languages. I think they shift. I think when one kind of get, gets filled up, other ones kind of change, you know, like they, they kind of, this one fills up and this one goes down a little bit and you probably have some that are way more important to you than others. Like gifts for me is so nowhere near a gesture that I, 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 I don't, I don't, I do, really don't care. Um, now, if somebody went out of their way and they made it or somebody went out of their way to find it or they saw it and thought of me, that's totally different. But a gift yeah. is just like, if you bring me home a, a, a new shirt, I'd be like, oh, amazing shirt. Thank you. I, but I don't. Some people, you bring them home a gift like, you know, uh, here's a new bag. It's like, I love you, heart bubbles. Like everywhere, uh, you know, like Peppy the Pew, little heart bubbles. Um, stuff like that. So either way, I mean... I would say if gestures of love are there and they're real gestures of love, not gestures of like insecurity, look at me and all that stuff, then yes, I would say anything you can do is great. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, a lot of them are corny and not for me, but very corny Sometimes I, it's okay uh, to be a little cheesy, but people are trying, right? Just, you gotta try. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I love it. Like when you see someone do something stupid in public and I think like, good for you. Well done. I would never do that, but good for you. Well done. Um, this one in particular was meant to be romantic, a viral stunt. Uh, the flame of love ignited on Vancouver Island beach, uh, have quickly fanned the flames of anger around locals. There's a video posted on TikTok last week depicts a man and a woman standing on Chesterman beach near Tofino with the caption, he said he wanted to do something cute to show me how much he loves me and then did this. A man lights a flame in the sand, which spreads into a large heart shape around the couple as the woman comments on how cute this particular gesture was. A little flaming beats. That's nice. Burning hearts. I got to kick it out. <laughs> but things were only just heating up. You're listening to Tough City Radio. for which Phone calls started flooding the local radio station, the community expressing their outrage. This particular thing because of the nature of it 
and how it actually affected nature really upset a lot of people. Poor timing, poor judgment, tone deaf. Yeah, it's a bit irresponsible. I think we all have to be careful. And I think it's quite entitled, to be honest. Not to mention, incredibly dangerous. Tofino was facing level three drought conditions and under a total fire ban. On top of that, it's been dealing with more than two months of ongoing road closures along Highway 4 after the Cameron Bluffs wildfire ripped through the area, destabilizing the slope. How can anyone think this is okay? BC Wildfire Service confirmed it is aware of this latest incident, taking the opportunity to remind everyone to be careful. No open fires whatsoever. Think about if there's a potential to start a fire, any heat source in the coming week is going to have that potential. Now, this uh, backlash seems to have had an effect. Um, it's been deleted from the TikTok account. Yeah. What appears to be an apology, stating the couple just wanted to make a cute video and show our love, has been uh, posted on her partner's account, not hers. Now, here's the thing. I think we need to break this down. It's all collapsed together because the notion of a heart burning in the sand is... What is that to you, Rye? Like, is that a gesture of love? Because it doesn't sound like a gesture of love for me. It sounds like no. a let's create an Instagram moment and show people so we can get some clicks and followers. It doesn't sound like a, a gesture is love is, hey, by the way, yeah, I tied your shoe for you. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of seems like, you know, uh, when you go on a vacation like a, a destination wedding and part of the wedding package is just like something really weird that you are just only doing to put on your instagram it seems like that kind of thing and also um it, it to describe the fire too which is important here it's not like a little blaze in the sand it's a full-on like there's quite large flames coming off the off the uh off the sand there so it does not look pleasant to stand in and it looks rather intimidating actually it's it's not really kind of like a burning fire of love it's it looks like an impending burn victim so did they describe in the video rye how they lit the fire uh i'm almost certain i uh i believe that it is quite literally just gasoline Mm. which is um yeah not great well i mean it's gasoline <laughs> on a beach so that's problematic to me i mean aside from the fact uh -huh. this seems like nothing an attempt to oh my god let's get the great picture so we can show how much we love each other um that i mean that seems silly um plus fire ban plus the uh, the uh, cameron heights the cameron uh heights or cameron bluff there um by the lake um cameron lake cameron lake cameron lake um it's uh that that like. I know the road. I'm trying to think of the road. I've driven through that all the time. My mom used to tell us stories about the the graffiti spray cans about like grad 1921 or whatever she graduated. Um joking. Um and they didn't have spray paint back then. But you get my point. <laughs> the um you know, all of these things are really kind of stupid. Plus gasoline on a beach. I mean, this makes no sense. You know what you do? You go down with your finger, you write a little 2023, and you go Bob plus Susie, and you put a heart around it, and you take a little mm -hmm. video and watch the wave wipe it away like your love. There you go. That's better, and nobody's going to be offended or also injured. Like, you can see the black scorch marks around the heart while it's burning. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. 
So I understand the outrage. And also, yeah, considering the ridiculous like fire ban, the horrible season. This is how this is how people start wildfires is doing like s- stupid stuff like this. A friend, though, should step in and say, by the way, <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Look, guys, we love you, but this is the dumbest yeah. thing I've ever seen in my life. You know what? The only thing like that, that would make this this idea better, though, if you really wanted to do this. You what? should go to the one of the places on the war in the world where everybody is an environmentalist and loves to take care of it because it's so beautiful and they just don't want anything to ruin it. So go there, go to that place where people work all the time to protect their beautiful little pocket of the world and then light their beach on fire. That'll be a good photo. Yeah. they. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, geez. Pick the worst place to do it too, just to add. It is Cameron Lake, by the way. Double checked. Um, Cameron Lake. Yep. Yeah, it's right by Cathedral Grove. So, I've never been What's on uh, Vancouver Island, actually. You've never been? I have never been to the island. Nope. What? Nope. Love to. My buddy's got a cabin on it, so I'm there. I'm sure I will eventually make it out there. But it does seem like a stunningly beautiful place to vacation live and also not light beaches on fire mm. you know what it's also good for why you'd love it nanaimo bars <laughs> no but very good that was not what i was gonna say <laughs> that was my guess uh, uh mullets very popular on Vancouver. heck yes i'd fit right in they have been you know you know when you have that piece of furniture that goes completely around the circle of trend and comes back into you know like bell bottoms and stuff like that Yes, yes. That's the mullet on Vancouver Island. Oh, beautiful. Are you okay with guard dogs? Uh, uh, Yesterday, when Laura and I were driving through a nice neighborhood in Calgary, I saw a beware of dog sign, but it did not say beware of dog. It said beware of Doug. Now I'm like, who's Doug? Is Doug a dog? Is Doug a person? Is Doug like a, a pug who's not intimidating, but they put the sign up to trick you? Who is Doug? That's, uh, that'd be great if Doug had more than one pug, and then when you walk down the road, you'd be like, hey, there's Doug and the Pugs. There you go. Yeah. You know the band? Yeah, see? Yeah, yeah like Doug and the Slugs, but the Pugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, golden retrievers aren't the type of dog to hunt down an intruder until they have to. A Connecticut fan. I came into the house at 3.30 in the morning last night mm-hmm. after driving from Toronto. And um, my Great Dane, as I turned on the lights and everything else, came sort of lumbering out of my daughter's bedroom, all sleepy-eyed, and looked up and looked at me. And I thought, I should probably say her name so she doesn't eat me. And all she did was start wagging her tail. <laughs> And just to check and see who is here. Is the person who's breaking in going to scratch my butt? That's pretty much it. Uh, Connecticut family's home security camera captured the moment a black bear started to approach a four-year-old boy. Then that very large, massive bear was chased off by the family dog, who looks like a very cuddly golden retriever. Now you can see just how close he got to the boy, the dog, Jake, running the bear off the property. The boy's father, Greg Grant, tells News 8 he wasn't sure if the bear was going after his son during this, but the dog made certain it wasn't. Were you, were you scared? Yeah. Yeah. But then once you knew um, Jake was okay, you're okay then, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, he got quite a few treats. He got some ice cream that night. Uh, he got a bath that night. Yeah, he got the whole nine yards. <laughs> well, he's the best boy, right? Yeah, he helped us out that day for sure. What a big boy. Gavin and Jake are okay. Oh, that's nice. Hey, what yeah. a good boy. You're so good. We'll give you ice cream and diarrhea. <laughs> um, that yeah. from WTNH News. WTNH News. According to UPI, Jake is not the first family pet to fend his owner's property from a bear this week. Mark Lacroix of Thornton, New Hampshire. Shared security cam footage of an 18-pound Maine coon cat named Bruno chasing a bear that wandered onto his driveway. Oh, cats and dogs chasing off bears. Very cool. Which, by the way, shift heads, I did notice all of the cat posts since I was away. Mm-hmm, me too. And there was an awful lot of comments, well, since Shane's on vacation, let's do this for cats. And I found that to be rather sneaky of you, right? Like, when the cat's away, the mouse will play, sort of, because I'm not there to defend with dogs. Although I did wanted to share, and I'm going to try to quote those from a comedian. Um, there was a comedian that talked about cat people and dog people. And talked about how dog people say, you know, dog people. You see, cat people, most cats are all the same. But with dogs, even in dogs, that's not the case. And I'm going to try to do the best I can to sort of paraphrase uh, what the gentleman was talking about. I just saw it. I don't know his name, unfortunately. And he said, you know, dog people are not all the same. For example, Chihuahua dog owners will talk about how great their dogs are. And the comedian, as do I, is a Great Dane owner. And he said, you as a Chihuahua owner and me as a Great Dane owner, we are not the same in any way. And I'll give you some examples, he says. He says, for example... When you go to have a cuddle with your chihuahua, are you ever the little spoon? And then he goes on to say, and for example, when was the last time your chihuahua gave you a concussion? Because that's what it's like to have a great day with a dog, is sometimes you're the little spoon if they decide to be the big spoon, and sometimes your dog will give you a chihuahua. That came to my mind today as I was sitting on the couch, and then my dog kicked me in the head <laughs> and almost knocked out my teeth. <laughs> with a foot that's as big as my face, it feels like. Anyway, um, just to give you some context of size, Melanie's little chihuahua, Kizzy, her paw is as big as my finger. My finger is smaller than one finger of my Great Dane on her foot. I can interlock them. So just to give some context of size. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.